0: So hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Things We Find Interesting. Um, we're coming on with another of our interview series and this time we're all interviewing an organisation, we're interviewing a charity and the charity we've got um, for us today is known as the Felix fund the bomb disposal charity So hopefully through today you're going to find out a little bit about their history and the kind of work that they do And some of the problems that they face that might um, bring in some a some interesting themes around that world of, of, of bomb disposal And um, but also some interesting things for you guys in your, in your workplaces and, and businesses some of the human factors that affect people working in high stress um situations and, and how they deal with it and um, we're joined today by two members of the felix fund um we've got mel and lizzie say hello guys
1: hello, hello. hi
0: is this your first time on a podcast
1: yes absolutely yes <laughs> for both of us
0: first of many um yeah i mean it's becoming a, it's a growing and growing thing podcasting at the moment um, there's lots of people trying to do uh very sort of niche specific podcast about things us here on things we find interesting is pretty much what it says on the tin we're going to talk about things we find interesting which i hope today for you guys will be the felix fund because i know um that it's certainly an interesting topic for me so guys starting off um a bit of an introduction to the felix felix fund what's its kind of origin story how long has this thing been been going for um where did it kind of start off
1: so uh, Felix Fund was set up in 2011. So we hit our 12th anniversary next year, which is amazing. Um, we're called the Bomb Disposal is our strapline. And we look after anybody who has conducted or assisted with um, bomb disposal and search duties across all three military and SO15, the Met Police Counter Terror Unit. Uh, we're a grant-making charity, so we provide financial support for veterans, serving personnel and their dependent family members in times of need. And this ranges from anything and everything you can imagine. We've done specialist wheelchairs, specialist buggies for children, home adaptations, the whole, the whole shebang. Um. And alongside that we also run our mindfulness program which we call dashboard which i know we're going to cover a bit later on
0: yeah we're definitely going to go on to that dashboard one because it's a fascinating topic generally and also i think it's got a lot of applicability for um, sort of any industry um, so it formed in 2011. We're talking about that sort of the height of the the war in Afghanistan. A lot of bomb disposal, as you know, as as, as uh, um, you know, the public would call it, work going on there. Um, I assume that's that's kind of one of the key drivers for for the charity being formed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I took over the charity uh, eight years ago uh, in January, so I wasn't around when it first set was set up, but I was aware of it because of family connections. So it was set up at the height of Afghanistan because what was realised at the time, uh, that the the general service charities, not to do them a disservice, couldn't provide the tailored help that the EOD and search community needed. So they set up their own charity to, to kind of do exactly what was required for them.
0: And, and can you give us a sort of any sort of facts and figures or just a, a general idea about the sort of um, issues that you guys were facing from veterans from from those campaigns? Um, I don't know, were you able to give a, a sense of the scale um, of issues that you guys were having to, having to help with?
1: Yeah. Uh, so obviously, uh, very sadly, we lost quite a few um, EOD personnel out there and search uh, personnel the same. Um, and that has a massive effect. Uh, you've got the family members in the first instance, uh, friends and colleagues, you've got the people who were there witnessing it, um, plus their own experiences. Uh, so we, we've we gone out of our way to really help uh, the families of those that were lost. Uh, and that can be in, like I said, in any way, shape or form, whatever they need, we've been able to try and, and sort of give them what they need, just to sort of help them through difficult times. Um, we Part of our objective is also to remember the fallen. So Felix Fund is responsible for numerous uh, memorials around the country to the EOD and search communities. And, um, and, and those that sort of that came back with their uh, experiences, um, we were at the time running a thing that was called normalization breaks. So the idea was because they all deploy as individuals rather than one regiment. Um, people were coming back to the UK after their tours, and and just sort of being sent back to to normal duties. So they weren't with the people that they'd had a very intense six months plus together, uh, and this was adding to to their problems. So Elizabeth uh, will be able to say more about this. So normalization breaks were the sort of first part of Felix Fund. Uh, and the idea was to actually get the teams back together um, so they could sort of decompress, um, talk about their experiences, how they were feeling, just get out a few bits and pieces over a beer in a very safe and relaxed environment do some adventure training, do some fun stuff. I think they did yoga and I believe pole dancing might have been mentioned at some point. Oh, wow. Um, There's a
0: video for that. That's what I...
1: Yeah, hopefully. Well, I don't know actually whether we want to see that. But um, and they did uh, lots of artwork and and very much a whole range of things. Really, essentially, the, the aim was to get the teams back together to get those sort of um, six core people uh, who had deployed and, and kind of lived through Afghanistan.
0: And to give that sort of, um, for, for our listeners who aren't military and aren't from um, potentially the bomb disposal world, what, what we're talking about with that, that sort of team of six, which I think gives some, some relevance in your, in, your, in your understanding as a listener. So we, we've not just got the, the sort of bomb disposers, you'd perhaps imagine from the, you know, the Hollywood movie, the guy who's there sort of clipping the red wire, the green wire, um, that they're actually part of a much larger team. And arguably, um, there's people doing perhaps even more dangerous things within a dangerous job in, in the first place. So um, Mel mentioned that the searchers So we, yes, we've got the bomb disposer and they're sort of what's called a number two who assists them in, in, in maintaining the equipment and, and doing a lot of helping, helping for them on the actual bomb. But actually to find the bomb in the first place is not an easy task. And we look at, you know, you look at the campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan, we've got a lot of concealed devices and so there's a whole team known there, as the searchers whose job is to go out there and find bombs now remember that these bombs are designed to to harm people who are who are moving about the areas in their vicinity so some pretty um dangerous jobs there um, for those for those small teams that i can imagine they got pretty um tight knit on, on on a lot of their deployments
1: very much yeah very close teams and and as i said they deploy individually so they're kind of meeting In many instances, meeting complete strangers once they they hit the ground for their deployment. Uh, But as you can imagine, very, very quickly, um, they become a very, very tight-knit team. um, You know, their lives depend on each other
0: and what what drove so this sounds like you know it sounds like a great idea this idea of you know people form a close bond and it's artificial to bring them back home and then send them to the four winds and there needs to be to help with decompression what sort of formed those um those ideas in the first place of like that's the way to help people sort of decompress and de-stress this like this this idea of coming back together
1: lizzie do you want to pick up on on normalization because you were around and i wasn't
2: absolutely um yeah i think I think actually, if we go right back to the beginning, if we've got time to expand on this, um, 2010 was when I first got involved. Felix Fund wasn't even established at that point. Um, I'll just give you a little background about what I do and who I am. So I am an holistic life coach. I've done it for 40 odd years now. And basically that means that looks at the whole person, the individual, emotionally, mentally, physically, dare we even say spiritually, And what is it that that person needs? And I coach that person predominantly one-on-one to help them develop the best they can within themselves. Like you'd have a, a football coach or a dance coach but understandably when you're dealing with an individual there is aspects of their life personal professional health matters that are not always comfortable or not always easy in fact sadly that seems to be the predominant work that i do with people is how can i make my life healthier happier so i'm not anxious depressed suicidal etc cetera, etc cetera. um so i had that background um and i had a little business that well a, a business that i still run but at the time I was running this business and a colleague was just in the room at the side of me and he took this phone call and I could hear him talking, but I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, and when the phone went down, he ushered me in and he said, can, can we have a chat? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's gone off? And he said, well, I might need your skill set. He said, um, I've just had a phone call from what was then the welfare officer at Ridge," And um, he said... The people are coming back from Afghanistan and basically they're in bits emotionally, physically, literally, as Mel said, you know, when they've gone through what they've gone through and they're trying their very best. You know, they're sending them away for a day here and trips to the theater with the family, but it's it's not happening. It's not cutting the cloth, you know can, can, what would you suggest? He said to me, he came to me, he said, what would you suggest from a coaching perspective? And he said, I've got some ideas. I've been asked to put this normalization package together. He said, I think we'll do quite a lot of AT work. We'll get them abseiling and tabbing and, you know, rock climbing and all that stuff. Uh, we'll get them in some bunk houses, shared accommodation, because that's what they're used to, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, no, just stop, stop there. I said, if you want to create a space that is conducive to people feeling safe, nurtured, Uh, if they're going to open up and talk about anything, you've got to put the right space together. And that is fundamental as far as I'm concerned. So he asked me to come on board and write this program. And we drove around loads of locations and eventually found this incredible um, set of cottages, two small cottages in the middle of the Peak District, incredibly beautiful, very luxurious. And I said, this is what you're looking for. Fresh laundered towels, clean bedding, hot water, uh, a fridge full of beer, obviously is obligatory for the the army and the Navy and the Air Force. And uh, I said, give them the right space, open fires, you know, anything that makes them feel like, okay, I'm home. And then when you put that magic together, then start to see what happens. And that that was the fundamental part of the beginning of normalization in 2010 when we ran the very, very first one. It's a very cold November day, uh, week, rather, I'll not forget it now. And um, off the back of that one that was run then, the feedback was just so big back at um, the relevant regiments that they said, well, how can we fund this? We have got hundreds of people coming back from Afghanistan and we've got no charity. Basically, we've nobody that can support the regiments couldn't cover the uh, responsible bodies let's put it that way delicately were not prepared to finance this sort of thing so as Mel quite rightly said earlier on there needed to be a charity specific for this unique community and I think within the next few months as Mel mentioned Felix Fund was founded and from then on from 2010 to 2015 we ran tens and tens and tens of normalization breaks and met. Literally, I met hundreds and hundreds of people from the EOD and search community. So, But it was that environment that was obvious from those first few weeks that we ran these retreats. I would prefer to call them retreats, not a normalisation. They don't need normalising. That's a military term. Um, But it was those retreats, those spaces, days after days of nurturing and feeling cared for. I mean, some people would literally... We had one or two instances people turn up, and they came to me and they said, "Liz, can, can I have a word just quietly?" And I took them out somewhere private, and I said, "Yes, what's happened?" And I had I had men in tears, literally, because they said, "We must be in the wrong place. We don't deserve this." That was the words that were coming to me when they were going and being shown their own room with a white, soft, fluffy towel and a you know an open fire and good food in the fridge that was left for them. They just couldn't they couldn't get their head around it, and that's when I knew. This community was something incredibly special and I'm, and for me personally that's when i fell in love with them um it's and swore i would serve in any way i could soldiers. from them
0: you know it's all yeah i can imagine I soldiers thought, yeah, saying that you know um having yeah i suppose the the military um the military culture is to, is to is to not complain is to not you know live in quite austere conditions and you know the, the worst thing you can do is to complain because you're sort of you know um, it's not really, really very helpful so that, that does that's I can I can imagine them saying that and and I'm right that this is this isn't just teams that have um, necessarily gone out there and suffered casualties and suffered trauma this is also just teams that have come back yes been in under very arduous conditions under th- you know threat of uh, threat to life conditions day after day um, but they, those teams coming back and struggling even, even if they haven't received casualties themselves, it can be just the adjustment to sort of civilian life after being in such a high pressure environment.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Mel uh, will probably pick up on this as well, but just those, what they were coming back for actually, what I noticed from the beginning was it wasn't, it wasn't all, I, I was expecting a lot of trauma conversations, you know, night after night, because these retreats, as I will call them again, you know, were five days, they ended up being five days in the Peak District. Um, and, and I would bed down with them, literally, I was from and my colleague that ran these breaks, you know, from the moment they turned it, we went everywhere with them and we were with them all the time. So I got to hear over and over the kind of conversations and I thought they were going to be predominantly about the trauma. And as you say, rightly so, a good chunk of them are about the things that they'd seen and had to do and go through. But it was also the trauma, uh, loosely putting that word, or maybe not actually for some, of coming back here to the UK after having an unreal six-months-plus experience in extreme temperatures, uh, extreme threat of life, as we're saying that, but just everything, the culture over there was so different and shocking for a lot of people when they saw some of the things that they did. So it was those sorts of things. They were also trying to literally get their head around what they'd seen Um, the communities do, how they saw the communities live, you know, the poverty, all of that, that was also a trauma. And I'm sure not just within the EOD community, but, you know, all the serving personnel that were out there, but that's, that was the community I was hearing it from. They were trying to come to terms with that as well. So it was multi-levels and then trying to fit in back in the UK when the threat here was obviously no threat, but they hadn't quite acclimatised. They hadn't decompressed from six months plus of, you know, grenades and shrapnel and the threat of life and uh, diarrhoea and vomiting and, you know, all the other stuff that they had to go through for months and months. So there was many levels of trauma. That's what was obvious to me within the first few weeks of doing these breaks.
0: And, and am I right that you sometimes have people who um, who will actually, uh, to an extent, miss the being being away on 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 that campaign you know whether it's the the human size of the the camaraderie the 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 high levels of adrenaline and they'll actually sort of sort of think i wish i was i was back there which is unsurprising, i'd imagine to most people
2: well, yes, but now exactly that, Andrew. Again, the amount of conversations, particularly as we were coming to a close, um, you know, you think sort of 2014, 15 and Afghanistan was winding down. So a lot of these people knew they weren't going to be going back out there again. Um, I mean, they had put months and months, years into training, deployment, pre-deployment training, all of this. They go out there, they have these just phenomenal experiences be it good or bad but life-changing experiences and then they come back to this normal where you're worrying about you know have the bins gone out and you know the kids need picking up from school and just the day-to-day of life and literally men and women that came on these these courses saying I would give anything to be back there. And I know that sounds horrendous because it wasn't nice sometimes all of the time, but I would give anything to go back there, yeah. I never felt more alive was some of the words I heard. And also these people are trained to an incredible standard and they want to be able to see and do the job they've been trained to do. They don't want to sit in an office. You know, the government spent a huge amount of money getting these people to this skill set. And and now the guys and girls, again, that I have conversations with say, just let me get out there. Let me do what I'm trained to do. Obviously, we don't want wars, but at the same time, Afghanistan was an opportunity for them to practice what they learned, you know.
0: Yeah, and that'll be fascinating, you know, when we come on to the um, dashboard course and sort of where it is today, I can imagine there's there's elements of those coming into there. We're, we're at peacetime army at the moment, perhaps the people just be feeling frustrated. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, what I'd love to know before we we move on is for the residential, the normalization breaks, um, What were, were there any sort of methods or techniques that you guys used? Because I assume it adapted over time. You learned certain things worked, certain things didn't. I'd love to know whether there were certain techniques or approaches that you tried that either worked surprisingly well. You're like, wow, I'm surprised how well that, you know, um, that sort of registered with people, or perhaps the other way, things that didn't work as well.
2: Hmm. Um. I would say from, again, having all those years of experience, that there was two pivotal points. I mean, we originally started off with the normalization break, I think being about a three day, Um, break and then as the charity became more established and and wonderfully you know the, the country was so supportive in terms of giving financial support to the charity they would say they came to us one day and they said can you make it bigger can you make it longer what if we gave you more money what could you do so then we started looking at different things that we thought would do what you've just suggested really work really create even stronger bonds and interestingly mel touched on it earlier but pole dancing was was the bit um, we specifically put it in the middle of the week. And I know it raised some eyebrows when we first rallied up the chain of command. They were like, if this gets, the, this gets to the front pages of national papers, we are doomed. But um, we literally took all the guys there. And the reason that were Andy was because nobody had done that. Everybody was vulnerable, uh, embarrassed. Um, it, was, it leveled playing field. There was nobody going, oh, well, I've done this or I've done that. Whereas when we did rock climbing and abseiling and caving, quite a lot of the guys and girls obviously have done that as part of AT. So that wasn't pushing their, their buttons much. So the pole dancing was a pivotal point. That really was a game changer. And we would see that. They'd come out of the um, studio where we did it, aching and paining, bruises all over, laughing and giggling. But at the same time, went, wow, that was incredible. Um, and then I think another pivotal moment was the day after. which we call the relaxing morning, as as Mal alluded to. And we did um, art mornings there. We did Lego, which is always a great favourite. And it was those quiet times when the log burner would be lit and we'd be just sitting and chatting. And that's often when people would start again, just while they're preoccupied with a bit of Lego or painting something, they would start to talk about their lives. And so they would be the two things that were obvious keepers out of the whole of that week for sure.
0: That's interesting, yeah. Because they talk about the um, concept of flow. Don't I? I Don't know. That's the technical term for it. But when you're highly engrossed in it, in a task, I can imagine like doing something like Lego is, is um, is great. For, is when your brain does some of its best thinking. So maybe hitting up mm. on some of those. Oh, amazing. Um, right. So we're going to talk about um. So that's what these. This is the Origin Day. So this is a while ago. Um, and then we're going to talk about this sort of newer iteration of this, the Dashboard Course. But first, just so that people can understand the Felix Fund a little a little better. Um, Mel, would you be able to like just describe the kind of structure and some of the key personalities in the in the fund? And then
1: yeah, of course. So um, we're called Felix because um, Felix is the cat with nine lives. He became the unofficial mascot for the uh, EOD um, guys out in Northern Ireland in the 70s, early 80s. Um, and actually it was a, a mishearing on a radio communication. Somebody said said Phoenix, as in rising from the ashes. Somebody heard Felix. And in one of these weird twists, Felix stuck. And then we now have this cartoon cat that was drawn by a a staff sergeant out in Northern Ireland back in the 70s, who's the mascot for the charity, but for many of the EOD and searchers now, um, yeah, he's their unofficial mascot. And quite a few of them do wear a badge on their uniforms. So that's where Felix comes from. So, um, yeah.
0: Um, And then in terms of the charity today, Mel, how are you sort of structured? How many people have you got working in the charity?
1: So we are very, very small. Uh, I'm the chief executive officer uh, and obviously it's my full-time job. Uh, I have a admin assistant who is part time. We have a volunteer who does our finances. And that's it in terms of staff. Uh, We have a board of trustees and there are seven of them and they are a combination of veterans and some who are still serving uh, across a wider range of the EOD and search communities as we could reach. So we've got a couple of clearance divers from the Royal Navy, um, some former um, uh, operators, searchers and things like that. So we try to make Sure the board is representative of who we are there to look after, yeah uh, and and that's it, that's Felix one. We are tiny,
0: and then with that that tiny team what, what your projects that you guys run at the moment um would you be able to give us a sort of brief outline of the projects that you're currently
1: yeah, so um I think we've kind of um not bitten off more than we can chew we we're um we're definitely batting above our average in terms of size and then what we can actually deliver. Um, even on a weekly basis is quite incredible. Um, so we, we've got all sorts of projects. Obviously, I'm responsible for everything over throughout the the whole charity. Um, on the fundraising side, um, it's you know bringing in income from as many income streams as we we can get, um, just to sort of not put all our eggs in one basket, but to keep income streams healthy uh, as far as possible, which gets more difficult with different things that get thrown at us in this country at the moment. Um, and then also, on the, obviously, on the welfare side, we've got uh, the grant making, which I touched on earlier, which is a continual theme throughout the year. We probably get about 50 to 60 individual requests for help each calendar year. Um, and probably um, more than 80% are successful. We are helping people um and again we've got our our mindfulness so we started off with normalization and then we developed dashboards so when troops were no longer deployed in great numbers in afghanistan and iraq we sort of looked back and thought okay well normalization it's it's done its job it was tremendous but the time has come to sort of draw let's put that in the cupboard if we ever need it again we know we've got scope and we know what to do and we've got lizzie um, which is amazing. So we got to the point uh, where one of my trustees, who was CEO of one of the big regiments at the time, uh, contacted Lizzie and was sort of they were talking about, okay, what can we do next with Felix fund? where do we, where do we go? Um, and I think the idea came about that let's try and look at preventative. So we're looking after people before the fact rather than kind of patching them up as we sort of were uh, previously. And I know
0: Lizzie's got lots to say about dashboard. Yeah, no, that's fascinating because I'd love to know the differences in how how you approach it when you're doing it from this preventative versus sort of um, a a treatment approach. Um, um, So we've mentioned it already, the dashboard course. um, I'd love to know a little bit more about um, the background to that and and, and how that kind of um, is structured. Mel, I'm not sure whether you'd be able to introduce us to the dashboard course that we're going to talk about in a bit more detail
1: yeah absolutely. So our dashboard course is um we sell it as a sort of preventative stress training based on mindfulness. Um, and uh, I know Lizzie will go into a lot more detail, but this is where we ended up um following the this where we uh, finished with the normalization breaks. we moved into our our dashboard program and it was something that was developed. Um, and as I said the clues in the title of preventative. And and that is that's its first aim, which makes it different from any of the other sort of mindfulness training that uh, other service charities provide and other organisations.
0: So what kind of things are we if I'm if I'm coming on a dashboard course, um, how long is one of these courses? What sort of um, things am I going to be expecting to do?
1: So our residential programme runs from Monday to Friday. Uh, It's run out of. Ashhorn Hill, which is Jaguar Land Rover's management training centre, so just outside Leamington Spa. So I ended up with a pin in the map, where's the centre of the country, um, and and found this place, and it, it's amazing, absolutely wonderful. Um, and, and it's uh, 10 people per course, usually. At the moment, we seem to be running to 12 because we've got so many people wanting to get on it or needing to get on it. And... Um, And it's run by Lizzie and another trainer, Archie, who have been delivering it from the beginning.
0: And so these um, 10 to 12 individuals are on this course. uh, Are these people Afghanistan and Iraq veterans?
1: They're right across the board, actually. Um, So mostly are serving personnel. uh, And many of those that we're seeing now are, are probably even too young to have into Afghanistan, which is a little bit scary. Yeah, that's um, me, unfortunately.
0: I <laughs> one of those categories.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so essentially serving personnel, uh, we get the odd veterans through, and we're trying to push that further and further just to get more veterans in, involved. And they can be be of any age. You know, we do still have Northern Ireland veterans around the place. I, My father is one of them, and, uh, you know, he's still alive and kicking, Thank goodness. Um, So yeah, it's very much about anybody, any age, as long as they have conducted or assisted with EOD and search, Felix Fund is there for them. And we'd love to get them on a dashboard, of course.
0: And and Lizzie, could you talk us through a little bit of some of the, the things that you would do over those, those five days with, with, with the attendees?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just quickly jump back to the normalisation break, because it was whilst running those breaks, as I said earlier, that I began to see that this community, and I'm sure many, many areas of the armed forces need exactly the same, but this community need Preventative. They the job they obviously do is incredibly stressful, that goes without saying. But I think when you start to look, and with me being civilian, I wasn't aware of this till I got involved with the, with the military, that you start to look at the unique stresses that come with people who sign to serve. And that is, um, you know, protracted periods of time away from home, large journeys, often just to get back home of a weekend. And then returning back to camp or base, you know, only 48 hours, sometimes later, courses, duties. I mean, you know, anybody who's serving or has served will know when you sign that contract, you come with a list of unique stresses that you would not get in the majority civilian jobs. So that's what I began to see as as a life coach. It was like, right, you've already got this the stress that comes with the job that you do. And then you can immediately see that linking that to their personal lives. So that's, they probably don't see their children from Monday to Friday. They don't see their partners or spouses Monday to Friday, unless they are accompanied on camp. And if so, that might have then meant that the wife and or partner and children have had to follow this serving personnel around for many, many years, which of course is gonna come with the stresses of changing schools, buying another house, shifting friendship groups, Etc. So, it was the normalisation experience for me in speaking with these people that that made me realise we have got to do something that enables them to cope with the stresses that come uniquely with this job, and also with a job when you sign to serve and are in service in the armed forces. So, coming into dashboard, I'd already got a pretty good idea about what I knew needed to be in there, and by that time I had met my colleague, as as Mel mentioned earlier, who was. Uh, also brought his own unique skill sets so between the two of us we kind of cover a whole host of things but fundamentally it was the space which I, which I mentioned earlier, you have to have the right space Ashorn Hill is that, it is beautiful, the grounds are acres of gorgeous woodland, the food is beautiful, you have to feed the physical as well as the mental and emotional if you're going to be holistic so all these things were key when, when, when Mel was looking and I was sort of putting my inputs that like, it's got to be a beautiful location, it's got to have great food, um, it's got to have that nurturing safe environment that means that when they turn up they immediately can let a breath of air out you know i I, okay everything is taken care of so that's fundamental if the space isn't right it isn't going to work. It has to be completely non-green, by which I mean they turn up as a civilian. They are the civilian. They are the man and woman in front of us, not Sergeant blah, blah, or OC blah, blah, or whatever, you know? and yeah, What um, the, really... the military?
0: It's such a, a, a weird kind of hierarch, hierarchical little sort of sub-society. We always make the joke of the first thing you do when you meet someone in the military is you don't look at their face. You look at their their chest because that's where they have their – a badge of, 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 of rank. Um, and it, and it's, I can imagine that's a, that's a really interesting one of like be able to disregard people who are in various authority positions or, or perhaps not um, and have them all, all, all on a level on the, on the same course. You, do you ever experience any difficulties with that or um, do you use any techniques to help people to sort of come at everything as equals?
2: absolutely yeah it's not permitted for anybody to pull a rank we 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 say this quite literally we are not interested in what your rank is you leave that at the door we want to know who you are as a man and a woman which is why it's specific that there is no green you know they come in their civilians they stay civilian dressed everything we can possibly do to remove work from them as quickly as possible is absolutely Uh, vital Um, and this goes out on the enjoying instructions before they come on the dashboard which is this is not a military course nothing about this course is military if ever I did see somebody say something do something that appeared that they were pulling rank I would have I would have a word with them you know I mean they don't need to shave I mean you couldn't get further away from from the green and it has to be uh, it has to be it has to be that way so um, I, there's been one or two very rare instances where I know or I've heard of a scenario in the background where somebody said, "Oh, that person came and had a word with me last night and said blah 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 about," and I'm like, "No, nah, 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 and, and we nip it in the bud, because it's the people, the individuals that are—that's who's in front of us—and they are the only things that matter. Yes, they wear on a uniform in their day-to-day job, but that's secondary to what dashboards about, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I want the human being in front of me, not the. Yeah, whatever their title or rank is. And see,
0: so we've got these characters coming to the course, military men and women, you know, they they probably think of themselves as quite roughy-tufty, uh, quite stoic and not very in touch perhaps with their inner self um, or their inner emotions. How do you get these guys to open up? And girls. Well, this is a
2: secret, so I can't tell you. anything. <laughs> Um, and I, again, and I, without fear of repeating Hold myself, on. but going back to, the, well, just, you jest, but. Going back to those normalization breaks, which I do use as a platform for a lot of what we do on Dashboard, but I had been told by so many people, you are going to get these, you know, crusty dinosaurs or Stoic. You're going to get these alpha males. All this terminology was flying around. They're not going to talk about their feelings. And I'm like, well, we'll we'll just see. And create that right environment, create the right conversation, create the right vibes that, that that talk in a way to the individuals to say, we are here, we care, we genuinely are here for you. And I had so many deep, meaningful, emotional conversations week after week, month after month with those normalisation breaks that I saw from the get-go that they may wear this uniform and they may predominantly be male, as we know the armed forces is still. But underneath that, of course, all men, as women, you know, we all are emotional, we all feel deeply. And I think that was one of the biggest things that, was being um, encouraged to be believed by society, which is these people in the armed forces are like a machine. But underneath that, you you don't think that they don't weep, you don't think that they don't cry, you don't think that they don't get scared. Of course, and it was just through speaking over and over and seeing this that I thought, right, we've got to create the right space, right environment for them to feel from the get-go that they can talk about anything and everything, And I think one of the things that's most important is on that very first evening, when we have them all sitting around, and they sit on beanbags, by the way, again, we have no chairs, we just sit on the floor, we lay there, we encourage them to sleep, we encourage them to just chill, you know, and go and have a drink, whatever, it is so relaxed, that's again enforced from the beginning but we create a circle of trust, and it's the only rule for dashboard which is everything that is shared in that space for those five days stays in that space it's almost like what goes on tour you know happens on tour stays on tour so they have a circle of trust and that shows itself by the end of the week to be invaluable because what they do say and what they do talk about and share they'll often say i've never even told anybody else my wife doesn't even know this my mom doesn't even know this you know so it's a powerful space you you just cannot undervalue what happens in those those five days uh, but by that's giving, part of it
0: by giving people just permission to engage with these emotions I, i'd imagine it's quite an important thing because usually especially in a sort of british society as well where it's not you know it's not the done thing is it it's kind of um you're uh, you're putting the weight of your emotions onto somebody else. It's almost quite rude, isn't it? To open up in that way. But I suppose if you create a culture where you're like, no, 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 this is what I want you to do. Um, that's actually probably surprisingly powerful.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, and, and that is exactly it. when you say you have permission to be emotional, you have permission to show that you have a deep caring heart. You want to signed into service. Did you not care? Because, that for me is, and is they've they basically signed their life away if needs be. That immediately tells me that you are a caring person. But more than that, like you say, giving them permission. This is the space. What do you need to get off your chest? What is going to make you a more chilled, relaxed, fun, life-loving human being? Um, and that's that's the, that's that's. Also, a lot of the key stuff that we put in there, which is the relaxation, the deep breathing techniques, which we do a lot of the deep breathing techniques, the meditation that we do in this enables the physical, emotional, mental body to also start to let go and rewind and unwind. And in that, what you naturally get is a release of emotion, a release of feelings, a release of, I haven't spoke about this ever before. It's it's a natural process when you put those sorts of factors together and you understand the science behind why those things um, are conducive to somebody as well, releasing, letting go, healing.
0: And, and is that the theme, Lizzie, for the, 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 the five days or is that just the beginning of the course is about opening up as we progress in towards the sort of day three, four, five? Are we looking at uh, techniques of, of managing stress or managing emotion? How does the sort of five days evolve?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of that. I mean, we myself and Archie have a, we will call it a loose structure. So we will have certain topics that we'll cover most of the days. But we also know it's a very organic experience. When you put those predominantly 10 individuals in the room on their beanbags, you don't know what history they're coming with. You've got to respect that. And so if we were to sit there with, you know, handout sheets and PowerPoints, which we don't do any of that either. We just want the individuals in front of us. You've got to expect the unexpected um you you you've got to not be too structured in oh well, monday morning between 0900 and 12, oh, 1200 we will do this but well, that might not happen if somebody comes in late because they've had some crisis or something's happening in their personal life so Yes, we have a loose structure and that is about, like you say, stress management, but it's looking at the emotional, physiological and mental components of stress. What is it that stresses them in their lives? So they will do some sort of maybe some journaling on that or some work talking in group. And then from that, we go, right. how can we change our relationship with stress? How can we look at things more alternatively? How can we change our mindset you know, dashboard is not a course, it's a journey into yourself. And I know that might sound quite intense, but that's that's it. It's not, oh, you come with this learning objective or this outcome and by Friday you'll go away and we'll have ticked those boxes. No, 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 no. Here is a space. These are some of the things we're gonna loosely cover, but let us help you find you. Let us help you teach you how to live. That's That's kind of a big chunk of what dashboard is.
0: Do you do anything on, um, personality profiling? It's, it's an episode we've got coming up on, on this podcast. Um, yeah, it should be in a, in a, in a, probably in a few weeks time, actually, um, where we're looking at, we're using the five factor personality model, um, the ocean model and sort of anal- <clears throat> analyzing how we ourselves sit on it and sort of how that affects different people in the workplace. Um, do, do you do much on that on sort of analyzing yourself against personality profiles?
2: No. <laughs> I would say no. I mean, we do we we put things out there which enable them to look at themselves more deeply. Why is it I do that? Why is it I think that way? Um, why is it I feel that way about certain things? But we It's not a measuring. It's not, oh, this is something that's been found early. And do you fit in this box? There's no boxes. This is why it is so, after all these years, and Mel will agree with me, it's so incredibly difficult to express what dashboard is because it's fluid it is a journey as i said earlier it's a journey into understanding yourself and yes myself and archie will hold that and encourage that and take that in a direction to the individual that we feel will benefit them but it's not structured it's not based on the sorts of profiling and other stuff that you're you're alluding to there that's out there now it's it's quite alternative let's use that word i think
0: what would you say uh what- using the term alternative? Um, could you give an example of some of the practices that people might feel that are, are perhaps, um, you know, unusual or or or, or sort of um, original?
2: Um, I think some of the breathing, which obviously in itself is not is not unique or unusual. But I think the way we can talk them through that, sometimes they can start to have quite unusual experiences people can feel things sense things that they haven't done before which is very normal when you do do very deep breathing and again you start to release a lot of stress in the nervous system Um, so I think it's things like that can be quite profound I think also we encourage them to speak very much about personal things and that's very unusual for a lot of people I know that sounds silly but it's who are you and why why do you feel this way about this situation or this uh, relationship issue or this colleague you've got at work that stresses them. So we bring people's experience of their life and themselves further and further and further out so that they get, we, we have people sort of having their own version of an epiphany. Let's use those sorts of words. People that will say things like, oh, I realized my life was so stressful with X, Y, and Z when I turned up on Monday. And I thought it was my boss's fault or I thought it was my wife's fault. And I was so angry and frustrated. And then I've realized through the course of this week, letting go physically and emotionally, feeling this circle of trust, that actually life is happening for me, not to me. And it's those sorts of phrases that people bring from themselves. As I say, it's it's quite a, a deep journey into oneself that comes from creating that space and bringing certain, certain loose structures in there to help them find their inner being.
0: Yeah. And do you think that's something that's, you know, that kind of approach, um, on going, going into your sort of self fundamentals and re- real sort of deep reflection. Is that what makes you different to some of you? I remember you guys mentioned earlier in the pod about some of the existing, um, uh, what do they call it? Like resilience training and stuff like that. Do you think that's the sort of key difference of what, what you guys do versus, Perhaps some other, um, you know, um, sort of schemes in, in in a similar kind of environment. Well, what
2: would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I'd say very much so. Um, Dashboard is unique, um, and okay, we can sit there here and say that. But I've done the courses myself a couple of times now. Um, the number I've lost, probably lost count, the number of uh, of feedback forms which you get somebody genuinely saying. This has saved my life. This has changed my life. Uh, there's such powerful messages that come back from it, from the feedback. Uh, when it first started, it was a bit of a voluntold. You will go on it because we need to trial this, and this is what we're going to do. And it was kind of the usual. as We sort of said, you know, the roughy tufty soldiers. Why? Why do I need that? It's pink and fluffy. Uh, very quickly, probably after the first pilot, even. Um, which was very different to how it's now evolved um yeah we, we've had waiting lists for people queuing up and and the more word gets out the more people are, are wanting you know this is going to be good for me and then even just to have the courage to say I think I need this even if it's just a quick email that they send to me or to Lizzie or, or wherever just to sort of have that yeah that courage to say i think i need help and i think this will help me i mean that that's tremendous which is probably why we end up with 12 people per course now because i don't like saying no to anybody
0: <laughs> and, and and so have you with with that this increased um demand for it have have you, have you adapted the course at all have you are you, are you expanding into new, new areas
1: yeah, so the residential course itself has has evolved over oh, eight years now, or yeah, or so, um, and and it's that's our sort of bread and butter of of our dashboard program, uh, and that will remain, and we run ten a year, um, and and that will continue. Uh, but what we have been doing in the last year I guess um is we've developed what we call an on-site version of dashboard so it's a two-day um and we take the training or I should say Lizzie takes the training to particular regiments and units so we've been down at um Carver Barracks in Wimbish um we're there or uh, yeah Lizzie is there every quarter six weeks or so running two days um We've recently been delivering some for the Royal Navy divers down in Plymouth as well. And this is something we want to kind of roll out a bit further because we can reach those people who can't get away for a week, be it through um, personal circumstances or or work commitments. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me.
0: Yeah and they, and they could be some of your more uh, high at risk people because if somebody's so busy the organization can't lose them for five days because I, I remember when I worked down at Wimbish it was it was discussed and it's like there's no way I can leave this job for five days um, absolutely. and know, you know and actually maybe they're the people who are more at risk.
1: Yeah absolutely and that's why we really wanted to we were actually asked if we could put something together and Lizzie and I got together and sort of talked about it and so we we came up with a variation which in itself has already evolved a couple of times um and yeah and it, it is about reaching more people um what it has meant is yes we've got those people who two days is enough um but it's also highlighting to those who might not have been fully aware of what dashboard was um that means that they then want to sign up for the residential course for the sort of the big brother, um, which is adding to our waiting list, but we're, we're managing it and, it and it's all good. Um, but it does mean that we are reaching more and more people through our, our two dashboard elements that we've got there. And then also this year, uh, I think it's back in October, we've been asked again and again and again if we could ever do one for spouses, wives, partners, whoever, um, and we we wanted to do it. We did a trial. Uh, then COVID shut the world down, uh, and so it sort of went onto the back burner again. And eventually, uh, we managed to get together. We we put together a weekend course for spouses and partners, set at the same venue as the residential course. So they're going along. They get in this almost the same experience that their their husband partner would have had when they went on the residential course. So we had ten ladies came along, um, and it, it was amazing. You know, again, the feedback was so positive um, because they're they're stressed as well. Their stress is maybe slightly different. Um, you know, uh, coming at things from a different perspective. Uh, but it was, yeah, it, these courses are, are needed more and more. So what we want to do is to uh, roll out more of our our on site for more and more regiments, but also run try and run. Two, uh, two a year of, for spouses and partners so we can get, you know, we can sort of maintain a flow of that. Obviously, you know, we ha- we are a small charity, so we'd love to run hundreds of these, but um, we have to be uh, sensible. So we want to start running two of those a year for the spouses and partners as well. Have you
0: found any um, of the larger charities um, taking interest in, in, in some of the, the methods that you guys use and sort of um, Wanting to learn from the Felix Fund,
1: we have yeah we have, we've had sort of a few conversations with different organisations, uh, larger larger charities and other uh, non profits, um, and and yeah with with great interest um, in for what we're doing with dashboard, um, but uh, again with with lots of things these these things sort of fall by the wayside when you know COVID hits or. Brexit hits or financial crisis hits or whatever it might be. Um, the interest is there. Um, and we're open to, to having conversations with people um, about our, our dashboard um, and what we could maybe do. Um, but, yeah, that's where we are at the moment.
0: That's brilliant. And, and so I'd, I'd also love to hear with you guys, for, for people who are listening, who aren't from the, um, you know, the, the, the bomb disposal and search um, community, but I'm interested in some of the things that you guys have got to say, um, or, or the techniques that you, you've had experience with. Whether you've got any kind of thoughts and recommendations, if somebody's from, and you know, um, is either they themselves perhaps um, struggling, or more importantly, if we've got some managers within organisations that are looking at how they can better identify perhaps issues, or offer or signpost sort of treatment for people. Um, whether you've got any like observations from from years of running the dashboard course and the fund on on, on things for for every, everyday workplaces that um, that could be really useful for them Lizzie I don't know whether you've got any thoughts first.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, First thing is the space. I'll just bang on about that again. But if you don't have the right space, it's not going to work. So you've got to create the right space. The thing is, with some of the businesses, um, when I spoke to people who work in business, and this is no disrespect to people, but they are usually business people that work in business and run business. They are not people that understand people. From a personal perspective, I mean, and also a more emotional empathetic perspective, they see, you know, they want to be caring for them. They'll have HR departments, obviously, some of the larger businesses, um, which I'm sure pick up the slack there. But what I don't see being covered very often is a genuine let's give my employee some space, let's give them some time out for them truly for them so that they can relax. We need to bring a lot more relaxation, a lot more de-stressing from the nervous system, which I don't think is targeted... Highly enough or more importantly enough, I think they send people away again on team building days. If you see it, the parallels between business world, civilian business world and the military, they're, they're not always that different. I mean, when we run the dashboard courses at um, Ashon Hill, like Melanie mentioned, there is it's a big corporate place. So you see an awful lot of corporate people there and they've got their own similar rank structure. You know, one will be the managing director and one will be the, you know, whatever head of department but the same thing is happening really as it is in the military to a larger degree or larger or lesser degrees, that they're not seeing the person themselves and they're putting all these 80 equivalent courses on for people you know team building days I think they phrase them but it's not still reaching deep deep into the individual so I would say give them the right space look more and more at tools to de-stress the nervous system to wind them back into a place where they feel able to look at life calmly because everybody or the majority of people are so wound up that you're not going to get effective workload from them. You're not going to get clarity of mind. Look at invest genuinely investing in your your working personnel. And as the dashboard course has absolutely highlighted this so many times, particularly the, resi- the residential ones, when they go back to work the week and the week after and the week after, they are so much more effective. You know, they've got more humor, they've got more patience, they've got more clarity of mind, they've got more uh, empathy for their colleagues. That's another thing that they learn on dashboard that we've not previously discussed, is they go, wow, I hadn't realized other people were carrying this, this and this, that so they'd maybe got a, a sick family member or they'd got financial difficulties or illegal. I had no idea what other people go through wow now that person that is at work that's that's a real dick to me actually i realize he's not a dick it's because he's got this this and this on so empathy grows and yeah people who go back to work after doing the residential say how their colleagues feed back to them wow you you know that's that's such a shift in you for the better and I'm sure that other companies could have exactly the same force multiplied, you know, invest in your staff properly, not just send them away on these do good days where they don't really do anything. Um, and you would see massively tenfold come back to your business. So yeah, more of a personal thing I would say people need.
0: Yeah. Cause there's activity days, if they're not kind of combined with the, like the analytical side of it, the thought provoking side of it, you're going away and you're doing the activity, but the whole point of the activity is to prompt some thoughts, isn't it? And to prompt some some um, introspection and if you're not having the structured introspection as, as you said i did find at the beginning like people aren't just going to do it on their own accord because it's difficult it's challenging it's awkward um you've got to create that structure where people are sort of a bit forced to do it or certainly encouraged to do it um yeah so that, that, that's, that's a really fascinating point there yeah lizzie so we, we've seen that quite a few campaigns out there where they're encouraging uh, people to talk more especially young men um, who probably traditionally have a reputation for, for doing less so but to, to engage with people ask people how they are um, but for, for you it needs to be a bit a step further than that.
2: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there has been, even in the 12 years that I've been involved in the EOD and search, you know, there's been a huge difference in the awareness, uh, you know, across camps, in welfare, across the society, across the world, about the need for us all to talk more. But when we do the the, the the dashboard courses, you know, people say, well, that's all well and good, but particularly with the idea that men still find it a little bit difficult to be in touch with how they feel, how do I talk? Even if I wanted to talk, it's not that easy you know, the, the, you say there's lots of uh, banners out there and, you know, just talk, just just pick up the phone, and talk to somebody, just go and, you know, have a word with your friend. But that's one of the hardest things anybody ever has to do, because first they've got to identify the feeling of what it is they then want to talk about. That's sometimes impossible because there's so many other things going off that they, they can't see the wood for the trees almost. You know, is it because I've not slept right that I'm not feeling right? Is it because, you know, I've, I, I ate something dodgy? Is it because I've got an issue with my girlfriend? It could be one of all of those things, all mixed up. So they've got this system that's churning around inside them, literally throwing out a load of things that they're not quite sure which is what and which to target with what. And then you're asking them to talk about that. It's like your car making lots of rattling noise and say, "Well, what's wrong with your car?" Well, I'm not really sure. You know, is it do is it new head gasket? Do the tires need pumping up? You know, do it need an oil and filter change? I don't know. Just don't ask me. I don't know. So this is, again, just calm it down. Let's create lots of space for you to then begin to work at how your vehicle works. And that's something we've not yet discussed actually is why dashboard got the name it did. But it's the analogy that you look on a dashboard on a vehicle and the lights come on and you go, oh, I need to take it in for a service, or yeah, I need to put some fuel in it. It tells you everything. We don't have a dashboard for life. We're not taught how to live. And that's a big, big chunk of what Dashboard wants to do is to educate people on what is this vehicle with all its components, emotional, mental, physical. How do they work? Why do they break down when they do? Then you can start to talk about it. You, oh, actually, I need this, this, because that's what that noise means when it does that. You know, Then talking is easy. Then you get the right help, the right support, and you can help others. But I think that's a big sticking point that, asking people just to talk particularly when they don't know what it genuinely is is going off how can they talk and that's where um i think a little bit more education in that in between phase is is necessary
0: yeah yeah. It could, it could be so easy can't it to just say everything's stress or oh, i'm just stressed and actually maybe you've identified a dozen different um issues there which you're labeling stress but that's probably quite yeah. unhelpful because then it, it's just it's this problem set that's so big, you can't even overcome it. Whereas actually, maybe if you break it down, it's manageable.
2: Exactly. exactly. Um,
0: guys, it's been lovely to have you on. Um, hopefully you enjoyed coming on your first ever podcast. Um, yes. for any of our listeners, if you've enjoyed, um, what, um, Mel and Lizzie have talked about today, you, you can find them online, just stick to Google and um, the Felix fund. I think you guys are also on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, are you on Twitter or anything else?
1: we're on uh, facebook twitter instagram and linkedin we're all over it (laughs) on
0: all the socials you reach out and and you'll be able to find them probably as the first result